Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is April 14th, 2014. This is episode 73. My name is Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. You can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, and uh, you can tell us whether you love or hate our new website now that it's actually up and running as opposed to giving a blank amount of code i think the important part here is and running yeah and running yeah um you can also check us out at the baltimore sports report um and then we're on the baltimore sports report network we're there with our lovely sister wives um and we love to broadcast with them each and every week um you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash bvcast and on twitter at birds bal you should also go and follow us on itunes as well and with that mention we're going to hold a little contest on iTunes. Uh-oh. This yeah. is news to me. Yeah. This never ends well. So, there's been a great amount of stagnation on iTunes. We want you to go there, rate us with five stars, and those that do and leave their Twitter handle will be entered for a prize, and this will be for anybody that enters by the end of April. So, if you go and rate us for five stars, you will win the mystery prize. Wow. Is this you giving out free hugs again? Because we were talked to after the last time you did that. Look, we've given away some really cool stuff. We just, we're going to give away an Orioles Tumblr because we reached 900 followers on Twitter. Ah. So, you know, we've given away Orioles statues before. And, you know, our greatest prize of all has been giving away the Wilson Bedemead volleyball. I'm sorry, Wilson. So you don't know what you could win with this mystery prize. So go rate it. I promise it you it'll be worth your while. All righty. Um, so Jake, what's your drink of the week? My drink of the week is actually uh, a very sophisticated, uh, red Zinfandel. It's a, you know, deep red wine. What vintage is that? Um, it's whatever came out of the box. Oh, so it's 2014. Maybe. Okay. That might be 2015. It's, it's prison wine. I have yeah. no idea. Um, I'm drinking an apple juice with a shot of, uh, absolute vodka in it. I'm sorry, what? Apple juice with a shot of absolute vodka in it. Was your fridge empty? I had no beer in the fridge. Uh Uh-huh. So, and I kind of wanted something sweet, but orange juice wasn't doing it for me, so I really wanted to have, like, apple juice. So, I kind of just settled with this. Desperate times call for desperate measures, Scott Magnus. Yeah, we really need to get, like, a a wine store or a liquor store to sponsor us so we get... I think at this point, you have to stop mocking me for whatever I I drink for the drink of the week. I think this is your low point, sir. Uh, I don't think so, based on the fact you're drinking box wine. All right, fair enough. With that, why don't you take us uh, through a trip of the medical wing? Sure. So the uh, biggest news coming out of the medical wing was Manny Machado ran six sprints at 90 feet today in Sarasota, didn't experience any issues with left knee or calf issues. And uh, this is his first full-speed session uh, with a rousing success. Um, and he's going to be moving to 180 feet next before he's clear to play an extended spring training game. So this is really encouraging. You know, by the end of the week, we could be looking at, you know, Manny Machado starting to get into some extended spring training games. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's great. I got to be honest, somewhere in the back of my mind, I was thinking that, you know, there was going to be a setback, that as soon as he turned it loose, something was going to happen. He was going to get set back further. And, uh, you know, I, it's this is really good news. Um, other news, uh, JJ Hardy, uh, back in the lineup as of Saturday, um, no new developments, but I think it's something for us to keep an eye on. Um, you know, lingering issues like this have been the uh, bane of JJ Hardy's, uh, major league career. So we just need to keep an eye on it. He's not out of the woods yet. And I don't think he's going to be out of the woods for the rest of the season as well. Yeah. And it has a really big impact on how the rest of our lineup and the rest of our roster, you know, falls out. Well, exactly. And, you know, well, let's hope that Manny Machado gets back 
and uh, very, very, yeah, very, soon. very soon. Well, if not, you know, we can also be looking for our players like Michael Almanzar to come off uh, the DL too and be a huge contributor. Shh, don't say that. I'm. I think the uh, the front office is hoping we all forget that he's on the roster, Red Sox included. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. He still needs to play a certain amount of games for him to be actually a member of the active roster. So Michael Almanzar, Francisco Guerrero, and Nolan Reimold are still down on Sarasota rehabilitating and trying to get back into the peak shape that they're supposed to be in. Now, we also had a, an update on Dylan Bundy this week, did we not? We did. Uh, Dylan Bundy threw 35 pitches today, again from a full mound. Fastballs and change-ups expected to throw his breaking ball at week's end, and that was per Dan Connolly. All right. Well, that sounds promising. You know, no setbacks. He's going to mix in all his pitches by week's end. I, I can get behind that. And uh, the only other one I want to touch on was uh, David Lowe, who was experiencing concussion-like symptoms, and he's been told that they'll go away eventually. Well, that's good, especially because he was almost poisoned the other day. Yes, from the uh, uh, fabulously, famously, deliciously pies that are from Baltimore. Poison. Poison, as he says. Well, I I also don't like to hear the word eventually. It just conjures up bad images of Brian Roberts. Um, Brian Roberts, by the way, speaking of the medical wing— Hurt already. Well, big surprise there. And the with Bron- the rest of the uh, infield for the New York Yankees. The Brian Roberts watch begins in New York. Yeah. Couldn't happen to a nicer town or a nicer fan base. You know, there's a bunch of things that though had happened in New York this week too. So um, you know what? Let's pop over to the twat and talk things out. All right. This week in the Twitters, um, something that came up and baseball tonight actually tweeted this out. This is ESPN's baseball tonight. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I know. They tweeted it out. It was interesting. Uh, Their tweet was that Major League Baseball says that there was one blown call every 6.4 games in 2013. Again, that's by Major League Baseball's count. And so far in 2014, replay has overturned one call per 6.4 games. Pretty coincidental, eh? That says one of two things. One, replay is really effective at solving the the woes of the game. Mm -hmm. Or two... Major League Baseball doesn't know how to fake numbers very well. I think the uh, later is the correct answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of old players like Brian Roberts, um, we had some old Orioles uh, pick up some interest. So this is going to be the, the washed-up pitchers edition of Old Home Week. So uh, Max Wildstein, our favorite individual in a bow tie, posted on Twitter saying, it is likely pitcher Freddie Garcia the D- and the Diamondbacks are close to signing as they expressed interest in him. Whoopee. Who cares? I don't. Moving on. (laughs) Also speaking of the Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks are close to signing veteran Randy Wolf to a minor league deal, according to Nick Pierco. Okay. Again, Wolfman was here for, what, two or three weeks? Maybe. Don't don't really care. Don't really care. But it's good to see the Diamondbacks picking up the old scrap heap from the Dan Duquette era. Frankly, I'm just glad it's not us anymore. Yeah. Um. Speaking of uh, the scrap heap. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Maybe you should lay off the segues in this segment. Yeah. Um, the Uriudia family had a uh, new addition this week. Uh, this is from at Henry Orioles. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just going to pull a Sam and Allen here. Is that a new Rudia? Okay, that's not bad. That's yeah, not bad. That's pretty good. I've been working on that for like three minutes. Okay. So Henry Uriudia at, at Henry Orioles posted... It's official. The Uridia family continues to reproduce. Thank God for this great gift that has. And then he posts a picture of his child. Very nice. <laughs> That's nice. All righty. Um, <laughs> one more thing that I want to go as far as puns are concerned. Uh, as you may have remembered, uh, Pineda for New York had something on his hand. Uh, during his last start. Yeah. And so... Major League Baseball wasn't able to figure out exactly what that was. It was probably pine tar. We don't know that, though. Okay, it was probably pine tar. Okay. Right? I feel like... That's a major accusation, okay? I feel like the internet could probably do good work with Pineda and pine tar. I I feel like, you know, there's probably enough out there. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Uh, Harold Reynolds told a really interesting story on MLB Tonight one night, uh, or that night on, on the MLB Network, and he basically told a story that Buck Showalter had shared with him uh, from back when Buck Showalter was manager with the Yankees. Apparently, uh, two pitchers, one for the Red Sox, one for the Yankees, who were not named in this story, um, were going at it one night, and it was a pitcher's duel. It was like one nothing Yankees, and um, apparently there was the accusation of the Red Sox pitcher having pine tar 
uh, on his hand. And George Steinbrenner called down to the dugout, like, you know, on the dugout phone and, and Buck Showalter picked up. And, uh, you know, Steinbrenner was just furious saying, you know, why aren't you out there arguing? It's obvious he's cheating. And, and Buck said, well, Mr. Steinbrenner, it's one nothing. We haven't given up any runs. Who do you think's cheating better? And the line went dead and Showalter went back to managing the game. You know, Buck has basically said he's a big proponent of anything that the pitcher can do to keep a grip and keep from, you know, going wild on either hot nights when everybody's sweaty or on a cold, wet night. It's an interesting perspective because I think all the fans, you know, are immediately cry out cheater and people who are a lot closer to the game say, well, you know, there's really a sliding scale of gray here. Blah, 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 blah. I think it's an interesting discussion to have around baseball of, you know, should we be using opportunities like this to discuss maybe ways that we can change the game in a way that in- improves player safety and makes a better product? Well, I'm extremely disappointed in you. Um, the traditionalist to me is going to come out and say there should be no foreign substance on the ball if you want to get a better grip. Like, like rosin? Yeah, exactly. So you want to do away with rosin? No, rosin's perfectly fine. because that's, Why is rosin okay? Because it's in the rule book. Okay, so who says you can't put pine tar or something in the rule book? No, 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 I'm sorry. Pine tar, only for the batter. Okay. It cannot cross the line. If it crosses the line, it instantly becomes tainted. Fair enough. Okay. What? Whatever. Keep going. Okay. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, which was pretty amusing, was um, there was an article on Deadspin, and uh, it was brought to my attention by Andrew Stetka, who you can follow him at a Stetka. And it was Vince Scully making stories. Um, and he was basically talking about Tory Hunter, who was at bat against the Los Angeles State Dodgers. So I'm just going to play this in its entirety. This is Vince Scully talking about Tory Hunter. And his father was a railroad worker. His name was Theotis. However, Theotis became a crack addict. In fact, his father disappeared for quite a while before he takes ball one. And he disappeared with Tory's favorite jacket. And then one day, Tory got up in the morning and his dad was asleep on the couch and there was the jacket on the back of a chair. So he put the jacket on, he was so thrilled, and he went to school. And he wanted to answer a question and raise his right hand, shaking it. And falling out of the jacket was, what do you call it, a crack pipe? I guess that's what you call it. That's the first time he realized his father, well, you get the idea. Tory, with all of that, is just the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. The one, one. Okay, that's that's absolutely amazing. That is brilliant. <laughs> that's absolutely why. <laughs> that's some amazing baseball commentary right there. I mean, that just shows you why Vin Scully is a national treasure. And when he passes away, you know, it's going to be a great travesty for all of baseball. You know, I thought that I would listen to Vin Scully read the side of the cereal box all day. I could listen to him tell crack pipe stories yeah. day I, till night. I'm thinking we bring back the wire and Vin Scully narrates the whole thing. I love it. Huh. All right. Uh, last thing here for the twat. Um, you and I were at the game yesterday and we saw possibly the defensive play of the game. The definitive run scoring play of the game for the Orioles by none other than the right field ball girl. Now, a couple of tweets here. Left uh, field ball girl. Was it left field? Yeah, it's left field ball, ball girl. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was right over the third base bag. Oh, whoops. Yep. Oh, yeah, no, uh, All right. So um, Camden Depot had a nice uh, couple of tweets. Uh, that's at Camden Depot uh, sandwiched around there. Uh, Camden uh, Depot tweeted out, uh, that said, perhaps his positioning is high, uh, highly context dependent and he's okay with giving up deep outs to poor runners. And that was in reference to Adam Jones. Absolutely. Yes. Christopher A. Nichols at Christopher A. Christopher with a K. Cannon Depot, what's our best defensive setup? Low Jones Marcakis? To which Camden Depot responds, probably Low Jones Marcakis ball girl. Ba-dum-ts. Yeah. Excellent. Very Love well it. played. Love it. All right. That will do it for this week's twat. Hang on. More bird's eye views on the way.
Folks, the Orioles have been in a huge offensive slump for the, this past weekend. I'm going to go through the uh, Toronto series with you. Friday, zero runs. Saturday, two runs. Sunday, three runs. But two of those runs came in the ninth inning in mop-up duty after they were already losing 11-1. to So one of the constant complaints that we hear about on forums and on the radio is the Orioles are way too aggressive at the plate. Their pay discipline is poor, which leads them to give up numerous outs while also minimizing the pitch count of the opposing starters. Jake, agree, disagree? What do you think? I absolutely do agree. And yesterday's game, which we attended, was a perfect example. I don't remember which inning it was. I want to say it was the fourth. Jimenez blew up. He threw 30 pitches. He gave up some runs. And in the bottom half of that inning, the Orioles made Mark Burley throw nine pitches. And Jimenez was right back at it. Yeah. I mean, it was it was the perfect microcosm of everything that's been wrong so far with Oriole baseball. Starting pitching, getting decimated early, wearing out the bullpen, and then the offense not really doing anything to bail anybody out. And, you know, you talked about the Orioles scoring runs in the mop-up uh, late yesterday. But the thing is, as frustrating as some of those games are, if the offense isn't scoring, anything after the first two runs for the opponent don't really matter. You know, if you're going to get beat by three runs, you might as well give up 11. Right. So, uh, yeah. Except when that Pythagorean record comes up later in the season. Right, right, yeah, right. Of right. course, because that's hugely important. Absolutely. As, as you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I would wholeheartedly agree. Now, are you going to tell me I'm wrong? No, I'm not going to tell you wrong. I definitely agree that the Orioles are an aggressive team. Um, Jake, there is a um, sabermetric stat analysis that goes on, which I know you're super excited about. Okay. So there is a statistic in uh, sabermetrics that they basically break out and they basically graph and say how many percentage of pitches you swung at outside the strike zone and inside the strike zone. Okay. So is he a free swinger or is he not? Correct. Okay. So I basically looked at the Orioles as an entire team and compared it to the rest of Major League Baseball. Ouch. Did this hurt? It, it, might, it hurts a little bit. Okay. So, you know, we're only in a brief sample size, but I thought, you know, we've had enough games now that this actually can give us some trends. So the Orioles right now are second in Major League Baseball at swinging it outside the zone pitches. And they are swinging at 35.9% of pitches outside the zone. Okay. The the league average is normally around like 28 to 30%. Okay, that's that's helpful reference. Yes. I appreciate that. So uh, basically, we are swinging outside of the strike zone about 10 or 15 percentage points higher than everybody else. Correct. Now, they also are taking some of the most amount of swings actually completely together. They are second in Major League Baseball with the percentage of pitches they do swing at. So they're not taking a lot of, you know, watch strikes or anything like that. They are really, you know, putting in the aspect of swinging at a lot of pitches as well. So we've got to take that into some consideration as well as they're hacking, but they're also hacking at balls in the strike zone as well. Um, but here's my problem. I also pulled it out and said, okay, well, let's hypothetically say they, they swing at that ball on the outside. What's the likelihood of them actually hitting that ball on the outside? Which you know, if you, you you can definitely do that. You know, some players that are really good outside the, uh, outside zone hitters. Sure, Vlad Guerrero. Vlad instance. Guerrero, yes. Well, the Orioles fall to twelfth in the league at that point, um, and they go to sixty five point two percent in terms of total contact for all their swings. They're thirteenth in the league, so they were second in terms of all swings and second in all in outside swings. Now they've gone to twelfth and thirteenth, which means that their making contact is not very good. That's not even the aspect of getting a base hit. It's just making contact. Now, again, you say 12th and 13th. Is this in the AL or in Major League? This is Major League Baseball. Okay. So we're right in the average right there. Um, another thing that I thought was interesting, and this is a point that you've harped on, is, and other people have harped on this as well, is the Orioles always swing at the first pitch. And the Orioles right now see 63.1 of their first pitches um, be first pitch strikes do their plate discipline, letting them to be the second highest in the league. So they are taking a lot of first pitch strikes via the swing. So they're swinging at a lot of first pitches. Okay. Now, that, that's really frustrating to watch. I know that some of it is game plan. You know, if you've got a pitcher that you know pounds the strike zone, somebody that likes to establish with their fastball, maybe during some games the approach is, you know, as a, as a lineup, hey, guys, get into this guy, be aggressive. He's going to show you that first pitch strike. Go ahead and swing. But my guess is that's not what's going on in most games. I, I think that the guys are pressing a little bit, and I think that you have a lot of not team at bats going on. I totally agree with you. So I'm going to break out some more stats for you. Oh, good Lord. Um, the Orioles are 28th in Major League Baseball in terms of pitches per plate appearance. 
They are only seeing 3.68 pitches per plate appearance. That does not shock me to hear. They are 29th in Major League Baseball for seeing 3 and 0 counts. They only have 3.1% of their plate appearances be 3 and 0 counts. Okay. Um, they are 30th in Major League Baseball and seeing 2 and 0 counts. They only now, see that 10.5% of the time. I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot here because yes. you probably didn't look this up, but I'd be curious to see where they stand on getting walks, on the number of walks they have compared to Major League. Because the difference there um, that, that I think that that would make is that, um, you know, if they are, you know, dead last or near the bottom of seeing 3-0 pitches or 3-0 counts and 2-0 counts, but they're still coming back to climb back to, you know, somewhere around normal for walks, that means that they're you know, doing a better job of, of, you know, having professional at-bats when they're behind in the count. Just, you know, an, an interesting something I'd, I think would be an, a, a nice little study. Well, Jake, I did look at that, and I did look at it in terms of walks and on-base percentage, and uh, I can tell you right now, no. Okay. So no. they just suck. Yeah, they, they generally are a very aggressive team, and they're going to continue to be aggressive. Um, Again, I'm not trying to make excuses there. I was just curious right. as to how that would work. Let, let's go to the next one, which was 3-1 and one counts. They're 29th in Major League Baseball and 3-1 and one counts. They only get there 5.2% of the times. Again, not very good. I, and I think the other thing is, you know, they're being aggressive up there, but also in terms of run scored per game, you know, if you're thinking, okay, they're going to be aggressive and they're going to score runs, well, they're really not. They're 21st in Major League Baseball right now with run scored per game. They're at 3.83 for run scored per game, which seems pretty low to me. Especially because we thought, you know, before the season started, it's okay if the pitching, you know, struggles a little bit because this offense will be able to cover them up. I, I know I said that. Um, and we just haven't seen that yet. Okay. Here's the other thing that I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with. Yes. I'm a little uncomfortable with people saying, oh, it's early, you know, in July and August, these balls will be flying out of the park that are just big outs right now. You know, I, the other team is fighting the same conditions, and, you know, the Blue Jays scored 11 runs yesterday. Right. You know, wh- why is it that the Blue Jays can score 11 and the Orioles can't score at all? You know, the it's not as if their hitters are, are not facing the same conditions. Right. Imagine what their hitters will do in, Ju- in July and August. No doubt. Now, the one thing that you've harped on a lot about is first pitch swinging. And you basically have said, I can't believe they always first pitch swing. Drives me nuts. So you're against first pitch swinging. Correct? No, no, okay, I'm, okay. I'm not against first pitch swimming. Again, I think that there's a lot to it where if there's a specific approach, if the, if the pitcher's uh, profile works to the advantage of the hitter. If you're only going to get one good pitch and it's usually the first one, yeah, go ahead and rip at it. Right. However, even if that's the profile, that first pitch swinging mentality is contributing to those nine pitch innings that are killing the Orioles and not helping the starters who are already struggling. Fair point. Um, I'm going to give you some stats in terms of first pitch and how they are doing with batting average and everything like that. Okay. So what do you think their average is on first pitch swings? A zillion. I have no idea. Take a guess. Um, 250. Higher. What is this, card sharks? Uh, yes. 287. No. Can I just give it to you? Please. Because you're never going to get it. Their batting average on first pitch swings is 420. Wow. And their o- uh, their OPS is 1.132. That's incredible. How's that working out for the bottom line? Well, Jake, I mean... But again, it comes back to the aspect of being, St- statistically, how great is it when they don't score runs? Well, when you basically sum up the whole thing, it doesn't really work good. But we can't come back and say, oh, they shouldn't be said first pitch swinging because it's showing here that first pitch swing is beneficial to them. No, 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 no. I didn't say they shouldn't be first pitch swinging. I said that they should be managing how they approach the first pitch in the the whole part and parcel of the whole game. Okay. And, and, and I understand that, but you're either going to swing at the ball or you're not going to swing at the ball. You're going to pick your spots when you this swing at the first This is a choose-your-own-adventure here, okay? <laughs> so you're going to either swing at the ball or not swing at the ball. I always cheated. I had, like, all my fingers in my left you hand. Uh, so you'd be like, uh, oh, I don't like that one. Right I'm going to flip back. Oh, I got I got eaten by the dinosaur. I'm going to go back to the So it's like checkers, there. basically. As long as you don't take your finger off, you can just instantly go back. Basically. Okay, gotcha. No, no. I, I want to go back to this because this is important. Swinging at the first pitch is not bad. Picking your spots when you're going to do it and making sure that it makes sense in the frame of the entire game matters. If you are having a great average on that first pitch, but it's contributing to short innings where you're not scoring any runs, well, it's great that you get one guy on. Okay. So you're advocating the aspect of 
take a few pictures and get ahead in the count. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jake, I just want to point out that um, statistically, the Orioles have um, not been very good with that. When the Patter is ahead at this moment. The Orioles have a 224 average at this point when the batter is ahead. When the pitcher is ahead, they have a 224 average. It just goes to show that they're not very good right now offensively. That is correct. Because I would be interested to see what the top offenses now in the even counts as a 319. So oh, good. Cha-ching. I'd like to see what the good offenses in the league have in terms of average in uh, you know balls when they're swinging at the first pitch or not, or whatever. And I would also be interested to see Babip. And I know it's going to hurt you, the fact that I, I'm, I'm interested, yes. because I think that, you know, it's not, it's not only whether you're swinging, but once you swing, and if you put it in play, yeah. what happens with it? Okay, so I do have Babbitt ready to go for you, because I knew you were, that's one stat I've actually put into your head, and you're like, oh, that's actually a good stat. I can actually get in behind that. So the Orioles are right there on the average for the entire season. They're right around 300. But... Let's go back to last weekend, and it was against the Toronto series. In the Toronto series, the Orioles had a Babbitt of 230 during the weekend series. And did you break it down by when they swung at the first pitch? No, I didn't do that much. That's That that, that would require me to actually buy a subscription of a few things, and I'm much too poor for that. Hey, I'm, I'm not a fan of uh, checking too many stats in general. Yeah, I think that might be a little too sequestered of a sample size but i did find it interesting that this past weekend the orioles only batted 230 which i don't make sense actually because we were at the game on sunday and that was a travesty of a game for both of us to see but it seemed like the orioles constantly made contact through that game but the ball never seemed to fall in we had a lot of warning track power hits and it just never seemed like we could get one in the gap or anything and it kind of makes sense that okay the orioles were able to put some wood on it but nothing really fell into place whereas in the new york series we batted over 400 with babbitt which i think is interesting and again, look how much difference you know you've seen in terms of performance with the offense on one series and the other series. So, is it an aspect of you know all of a sudden they're bad? No, it just might be the aspect of the luck wasn't there. You know, they made contact, but it didn't fall in. And as we speak tonight, the Orioles have come out and had an offensive onslaught on Chris Archer. So these things ebb and flow. Again, it comes back to the aspect of. There needs to be a greater sample size. You can't just make a judgment call after one series. Yeah, it sucks, but you kind of have to see it over at least a whole month before we can start going crazy and pulling our hair out. And if you're really going to live and die by the stats, I think you'd have to take a look at the career stats of these guys. Absolutely. And compare it to how they're doing now. Because I think if you look at, especially at the meat of our order, they're probably underperforming what they usually are. Correct. And if you look at the end of the year, they'll be right there. I mean, a, a perfect example of that is Adam Jones. And, and Adam Jones is so frustrating at times to watch because he has such crappy at-bats. You watch him just hack and hack and hack. And he gets the two strikes with men on base, and you just know they're going to pound it you know, low and away. And what does he do? He swings at it. He strikes out in a pivotal situation. But you get to the end of the year, and you look at his stats, and they're great. You know, he has 100 RBIs and 33 home runs, and, you know, his, his batting average is somewhere between 270 and 300. And you look at it, and you're like, well, when did all that good stuff happen? Right. And I think that comes back to the aspect of, if we look at last year, it's not like the plate discipline for this team has dramatically changed. The Orioles were still, you know, a top 10 team in terms of runs produced last year. This team is going to be another top 10 team in terms of runs produced over the entire season. Yes, things have been slow to start this season. But things are eventually going to pick up, and you know this, this lineup is going to contribute. Again, it hasn't been that many games. I know we're all eager to make a determination and a prediction for what's going on with the season, but be patient, Burland. You know, let's see how things progress. It's just that we're not seeing it now. I think that's the the frustrating thing. Everybody and, and we want it now. Yeah, everybody was expecting it. You know, right right away. Uh, we weren't worried about the offense, but uh, I, I do think that it will come around. And, uh, you know, everybody keeps talking about the fact that, oh, well, nobody in the AL East has taken off. And, you know, it sounds kind of like a cop-out, uh, and I hate to make excuses for the club, but at least while they're struggling, they're not digging themselves a huge hole that they can't get out of. Yeah. Well, speaking of holes that people dug themselves into, one of the Orioles dug themselves into a pretty deep hole. I'd like to come back and talk about that.
All right. Now, Scotty, there were a few things said this past week that we should probably give a little bit of attention to. Um, our center fielder's talking again. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, I, I think we need to we need to actually answer that question. Is there a problem with our center fielder talking? Let, let's just cover what was said. First and foremost, we actually addressed in our double play segment, right. uh, which we put on the, on the blog. If you missed that, it's basically a new segment that we've put together. It's a feature for the blog where we will have a, a guest and one of the guys from Bird's Eye View basically debate a topic. And uh, the first one was Adam Jones' comments related to people running on the field. Now, usually it's going to be point counterpoint, but this one was almost point point. Point, yeah. <laughs> point more point. I was trying to make a mockery of it for the against side because again, I'm so for it. It's just like really, Adam. You know, you really need to realize who you're dealing with in Middle America. Well, you know, I thought it was and inter- Yankees fans. I thought it was interesting because I, I agree with you in principle that what he said, I have no problem with. It was more the approach, correct? And you know, he. We, we shove microphones in these guys' faces right after the game, and a lot of times that leads to things being said in a way that you normally wouldn't say them. You know, he's still got adrenaline rushing, whatever. I felt that what he said was was done in an unprofessional way, and it didn't put him in the best light. You know, are people who run on the field stupid? Absolutely. Is it a, a danger to player safety? Absolutely. Is it something that he should be able to kick them with his metal spikes? No, come on. It's a little over the top. And I feel that it, it has the danger of making it sound a little bit more like the Adam Jones show than it is a real opinion from somebody we should be paying attention to. Please. This is the same thing that we get in with like when David Ortiz makes a comment, everyone says, oh, it's just Ortiz being Ortiz. Right. And I hate it. So when it's our guy, I expect a little bit more. No, no. This is perfectly fine. This makes perfect sense. This is not like F terrorism or anything like that. And again, I don't have a problem with his sentiment. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with the delivery. That's all. And I'm not beating him up about it. I'm just saying he needs to be careful. And I think the reason he needs to be careful is because then when he goes on and says something else, like what he said about Tanaka, it has the ability to be misconstrued because of the way he presents it. So let, let's talk about what he said about Tanaka. I don't have an exact quote here in front of me. That would have been preparation. Yes. Scotty, do you have the, the gist of what he said? He basically said that, you know, Tanaka is no big deal. He's, you know, pitched before in Japan. Yeah, so what if he was 24-0? I'm not going to go home and say, oh, I faced Tanaka. You know, it's it basically, you know, I'm a Major League Baseball player. I'm an all-star. You know, give me the respect. You know, it's just another pitcher that we go out there and face day in and day out. No big deal. I, again, I feel like it could have been done in a better way because you know he said, "Oh, who who's he faced over there?" You know that we're a little bit better here in the big in the big leagues. I, I didn't love the tone, even though I totally dug the message. You know what I mean? I, I I think this is even more harmless than the other one with the spiking the fans. Sure, I think it's come again comes back to of what do you want him to say? Saying, "Oh yeah, we're really glad that the Yankees got a really great pitcher there." You know, I really wish Peter Angelus would go out and you know, spend $150 million on some Japanese player to hopefully make a, make a dent for the team. No, you want to cut deep? Tanaka's a great pitcher. He's a really great talent. And we hung seven runs on him today. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. you do. Yeah. he He's a great pitcher, and we beat the crap out of him. Yeah, that, that, that would have been clever. But um, I personally like Adam Jones's response just as well as, but, you know, your response... Well done. You could be a Major League Baseball player. Oh, wait. No, no. no. You're missing something else, I guess. Not even a little bit. I think this this goes to the larger point of that, you know, when the players speak out. Chris Davis was very vocal about the fact that we needed more pitching mm-hmm. in, in the early offseason. I felt like that had the opportunity to either be a good thing, you know, put some pressure on the, the folks that need to have pressure on them, or it could have been a contentious thing that was kind of awkward in the clubhouse afterward. I, I still come back to the... You know, you know, when Chris Davis, let's go back to Chris Davis last year, when Chris Davis came out against steroids as well and said, you know, I really don't give consideration that Barry Bonds is the true home run champion. I really give consideration that Roger Maris is the true home run champion. Sure. That created a controversy as well. And people were like, oh, I can't believe he would say this. I think in the 24-7 media cycle that we're in, where you've got, you know, people always wanting to send out that tweet, I think it's just always going to be the aspect of we're always going to blow out topics out of the water more so than they really are. These two comments, I don't think that were are that big of a deal if they were printed out 30 years ago and they were put into a newspaper. I think that the fact they were able to be tweeted out and played immediately made it a much bigger deal. And again, I think most of these stories were dead within 24 hours as it, as it was. Yeah. I, 
again, I'm glad that our guys speak out because I think that the character of the guys, most of the guys on this team is pretty good, especially the ones that are leaders, the ones you're going to listen to. I really hope, though, that as they move forward, it doesn't turn into the Chris Davis show or the, the Adam Jones show or whoever else that they're a little more measured and thoughtful about the way they approach the media. Again, you and I can differ on that. I totally see your perspective. You know, it's Adam Jones. Let him rip just like he's in the batter's box. Okay, whatever. But he's also the leader of a team. He's a guy that kids should be able to look up to. And he's a guy that I don't want something that comes out of his mouth to embarrass the Orioles or Orioles fans at any point. That's all. I, I can tell you right now, Adam Jones is not the only star or is not the only show of this team. There are plenty of other stars that are going to grab the attention. And, you know, some of them are even representing early on this past week trying to get on base. So with that, Jake, I think it's time uh, that we go into our next segment. When it comes to twisting, oh, no, it's Elvis. You keep insisting, oh, baby. You sure do swing. Got me beat up and down inside out and across. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, Jake. I am the boss once again this week. God, how does this keep happening? First of all, the f- you stole the first one. That's up for debate. It's <laughs> <laughs> a polite way of saying yes, I did. Um. So, Jake, last week you picked OBP um, because, again, you know, you, I, you wanted to put an asterisk on it. So I gave the choice of picking out a category. Jake, you picked Nick Markakis. I picked Crush Davis. Going through the numbers, Nick Markakis hit a 286 on base percentage. Chris Davis, 370 on base percentage. Really, with those walks, you know, that just always brings that on base percentage up. You should have known that right away. I guess Chris Davis should be batting leadoff. Is yeah. that the is that the lesson? You know, there's some people that would say that, but no, that, that, that that's silly. That's silly talk. Um, so Scott goes up two zero, and uh, the route is on one zero and asterisk. Okay. So Jake, uh, I give some consideration to what we should pick for our topic today, and I, I first of all I thought pitches per plate appearance, but I was like, no, we've already kind of done that to a certain regard. Did we? No, I don't think we do. We Did just, we, Scott? We just pick pitches. So I decided to go with a. Uh, a sabermetric stat that you're going to love. Oh, I'm shocked. Go ahead. I decided to go with WOBA. This is weighted on base percentage? This is weighted on base average. Okay. So basically what weighted on base average is, is it's um, based on the concept that not all hits are created equal. The batting average assumes that they are on base percentage, um, and on base percentage does it kind of as well, and so does slugging, but they all don't weigh it equally. Like slugging percentage weighs hits but a double is twice as much. Well, is a double really twice as valuable as a single? Is a triple really uh, three times as valuable as a, uh, as a single? No, not really. Weighted on base average basically combines all the different aspects of hitting into one metric, weighs them to, uh, proportionally to the actual run values. Actual run values. Yeah, which is perfectly legit because, again, if you break out enough statistics, you can say, with these hits, this is the amount of runs that was created, and you can basically break out a linear regression. Can can you do me a favor? Yeah. Can you read out the WOBA formula? Please. Sure. I just want to hear you say it. Sure. It is uh, uh, 0.691 times walks plus 0.722 times hit by pitches plus 0.884 um, times uh, singles plus 1.257 times uh, doubles plus 1.593 times triples, plus 2.058 times home runs, divided by at-bats, plus walks, minus intentional walks, plus hit-by-pitches. Right. Okay, go ahead. I just wanted to hear you say it. That's okay. all. Again, it's a, actually a pretty proven-out, you know, sabermetric stat. I'm just saying. It's pretty popular. So, Jake, with that information, who are you going with? So, this is a stat that basically says... You're going to want to get hits, but you're going to want to get the right kind of hits. Correct. Or you want to be on base, but you want to be the right kind of on base. Correct. So, for example, Chris Davis last week had a lot of a higher OBP because he was walking a lot. But again, is a walk really that much more valuable than you know a double? I mean, a double really should be weighed a lot more in terms of on-base percentage almost. Right. Um, 
Okay. I'm going to go with Nelson Cruz. Okay. I'm going to go with Matt Wieters because Matt Wieters has been crushing the ball lately. He was my second choice. Yeah. Um, so that's who we're going to go with. Um, Jake is going to go with Nelson Cruz. I'm going to go with Matt Wieters. Who will own it? That's right, Jake. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to switch it up a little bit this week. I'm going to actually have you go last this week. Oh, That's boy. okay. Um, I, I think it, it'll be appropriate just to see what happens if you get the opportunity to go last. Because, you know... I put a whooping on you the last couple of weeks. Here's, you have. Here's what's wrong with the 2014 season for Bird's Eye View. Yeah. You're winning Fantasy Boss, and I'm schooling you with the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right. That... that you know things can get changed up we got to get this right scott because we're screwing it up so far okay so my good for the week is going to go to delman young ever since he's gone into the lineup and been in that number two hole he's been racking the ball 474 average 737 slugging percentage and a 1.211 ops kudos to delman young he is still my least favorite oriole in quite some time he's really hard to clap for and a cheer for did you notice on Sunday that he came up and he was announced after having already gotten a hit in the game and it was silence? It was like an opposing player came to the plate. Look, I, this is why I like Delman Young. Delman Young gets injured on the field and Richie Mansells doesn't even want to come over and talk to him. It was hysterical. <laughs> doesn't even want to talk to him on Sunday. It's just like, I'm going to go right to Adam Jones. Delman Young and Adam Jones ran into each other a slight, you know, uh, bump when they were running to chase down a fly ball. And Richie Bansells ran out to talk to Adam Jones and didn't even, like, make eye contact with Delman Young. Yeah. It was hysterical. He got the Alexi Casilla treatment, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Back on the bus, kid. That's right. So, Jake, who is your good for the week? My good for this week is Bud Norris. We've had so much discussion about Chris Tillman putting in good starts, and he has. And the rest of the uh, rotation has just been, you know, atrocious bud norris had a great start the other day seven seven innings pitched five hits that he he spread out amongst that time he had uh no earned runs in that time he walked three guys he struck out four it was a really really good start for your fifth starter i'm not going to argue great start hopefully really acquired some of the aspect of oh we need to bring gossman up right away in order to get norris out of the bull uh, get norris out of the rotation I still think it's, you know, looking at the pitching rotation, we just need to let things develop. As we're speaking on Monday night, we and Chen has had a great night. Um, if anyone go, wants to go to uh, Baltimore Sports Report, which I recommend you do, Zach Wilt had an excellent post about this and how we and Chen was incredibly unlucky in his first few starts with some of his bat bit well above like 400 or 500. And today was a perfect example of the bat bit coming down and we and Chen coming back to the form that we expect him to be. And the other thing is, is that we've seen through this past you know 12 games of baseball that the rotation can have such warts. They can really be in, a, in an ugly way, but at the same time, they also have that opportunity. Each one of the five guys has the opportunity to be great, like we saw Bud Norris the other day. Yeah, totally agree. Um, all right, I'm going to go to my bad, and my bad is going to go to Mr. Cleanup himself, Josh Stinson. Justinson's pitched four and a third innings. He has given up six earned runs, eight hits, which has led him to have a 400 average against him and a 2.31 whip against him as well. Ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. So, uh, I'm sorry, isn't Stinson your guy from last year? Stinson is my guy from last year, and I really try to hold him up and be like, you know, he has the possibility. But things are looking bleak for Mr. Stinson. The I'm, time may be a coming. I'm just going to say that this week... With all apologies to the Baltimoreans, he was all hat, no cattle. Um, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Jake, who is your bad? My bad for this week is Baldo Jimenez. Um, I would have made him ugly, but I had a much better candidate for that a little bit later on. I'm not so much upset about Abaldo Jimenez having another bad start because I do think that all things considered, at the end of the season, we'll look back and he'll have had a pretty good season. I know that he's having a rough start. I know that we're all incredibly upset that we're paying $52 million or whatever it is that we're paying him for getting nothing in return. It's incredibly frustrating to watch him walk guys, 
throw a million pitches. But the reason he's bad this week, Scott, is that he ruined a perfectly good day that I went to the ball game. It was 80 degrees. We were in the sun. A nice breeze blowing. We were in the sun, and we also had the option to go into the shade if we wanted to. So for individuals that couldn't be in the sun, it was a good opportunity for them It was as well. a fantastic day at the yes. yard, and he blew it. What did you think about the new seats, by the way? I think they were great. Okay. Uh, you know, our last seats were in Section 336. We moved down to Section 7. It's good thing we got all that section. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a really cool view. You have a little bit of an obscured uh, view of right field. Right field yeah. Um, you know, when it bangs off the wall. But other than that, it's a really great opportunity to be down on the lower deck, be close to the action, and it's just a beautiful view of the park. Gives you, know, you some really great depth perception in terms of how balls are lifting out of the park. Like the one first time run that was hit by Tampa Bay, as soon as it was hit off the bat, I was like, gone. You knew. You gone. Knew. You could just look up in the air and be like, it's high enough and it's deep enough that it's gone. Well, if I get back to my bad, uh, Abaldo Jimenez was, was terrible. Five and a third innings pitched. He gave up 10 hits over that, uh, that portion. There were five earned runs, two walks, three strikeouts, just way too many pitches. He needs to get it together. I have all the faith in the world that he will. I really do. And it's not the apologist in me. It's just I think that's the way it's going to shake out. But, oh, it's hard, hard to watch right now. Yeah. All right. We're going to go to the ugly. Um, my ugly is going to go to an individual from the Four Letter Network. Um, first, I'd like to start by thanking Cody Colston for uh, allowing us to go to the John Mackey Award Gala. Um it was a great um, night um, hanging out with a fellow member from the Baltimore Sports Report. We were also there with Dave S., who tried to convince us that hockey was a real sport. So, Dave, it was nice to meet you, and um, hockey's still not a real sport. Hockey, wait a minute. Is that the one they play on horseback or the one they play in the pool? Um, I can never get it straight. I don't know. It's baseball season. All right. So, continuing on, um, John Mackey Award basically honors the top tight end in the NFL and basically gives them this reward. Um, but they also give away in a leadership award, which was given to Ozzie Newsom. I've heard of him. Yeah, he's pretty famous. Um, but they also gave an outstanding journalism award to two journalists, in air quotes. Um, one of them was Stephen A. Smith, and one of them was Skip Bayless. Only one of these individuals showed up this night, and that was Stephen A. Smith. Skip Bayless decided to skip the event and uh, not show up for an award gala. Skip, that's good work. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So nice job, Skip Bayless, for not showing up to uh, collect your award. And um, Stephen A. Smith, thanks for coming on and giving us a lecture about how First Take is truly a artistic and journalistic, you know, great piece of media that really helps people strive to think more on a daily basis. Look, Skip, Stephen, you're not the NPR of sports. In fact, you're the furthest thing from the NPR of sports. You don't make me think. You don't make me even, you know, give consideration. All you do is make me angry. And that is all you're doing is you're not being intellectual. You're just trolling the American people. My favorite part was when Stephen A. Smith was talking about the fact that he was like Malcolm X. Yes, that's true. In the the fact that when a guy like Martin Luther King came around, he had a great message that should have been listened to, but it wasn't until a rebel like Malcolm X came to show you that you should have been paying attention to Martin Luther King all along. And Stephen A. Smith said that he was like Malcolm X. Yeah. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Wow. But hey, it was great to hear from Ozzy Newsom. <laughs> it was great to hear from Ozzy Newsom. I can just imagine Ozzy Newsom being like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> also at the awards gala was uh, Jerry Sandusky. Jerry Sandusky. Who just uh, appeared on... Section uh, 336. I recommend anyone go and listen to the last Section 336 That was a episodes. great interview. Great interview. Um, it really epitomizes the aspect of having that father-son relationship. I recommend everyone go listen to Section 336. Might get a little dusty. Might get a little dusty. There's a little sawdust in the air. Um a great interview we went up and introduced ourselves and we just thanked him very much for uh, coming onto their podcast so jake with that who's your ugly my ugly is none other than scott magnus what scott you are officially on notice sir what because this week you are ugly more so than usual and you earned it tonight okay scott i want you to turn your head to your left Okay. And I want you to tell me what the score of the ball game is right now. It is 7 to 1 right now for the Orioles and it is in the bottom of the 8th. And now, um well Nelson Cruz just you know took a big swing so A couple of hours that's not doing so good for weighted on base average. A couple of hours ago Scott you and I sat down to record a podcast. It was like the bottom of the 5th, yeah. You took a look, one look at the television and you said what? Um I said um has there been any hits? You said what? Has there been any hits? You asked me out loud if there had been any hits given up by our starting pitcher, Wei Yin Chen. 
And let me ask you this, Scott. What happened on the very next at bat? There was a hit. In fact, there was a double. Scott, you don't talk about no-hitters. You can give me all the stats in the world you want, but there are certain unbreakable rules of baseball, sir, and you broke it. You do not talk about no-hitters. You do not acknowledge no-hitters, and you certainly do not do so on a podcast of this quality. You, Scott Magnus, are on notice. This week and heretofore, until you get it through that stat brain of yours, that there are certain unalienable rules of baseball. Unless I'm the Malcolm X of podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. I got nothing. (laughs) Scott, you're ugly this week. Yeah, That's almost like blowing the save, really. All right. Do you have anything with which to blow the save this week? I do have one thing to blow the save with. So we were at this awards gala, and they sung the national anthem. And um, we get through the whole national anthem, and we get to the part, which is the O. And, well, of course, I have to say the O, right? So I say, oh, in this room of like 100 or 200 people. And I'm, the, I'm, I'm the only person that says it. So I get a very dirty look from the wife. You got a very dirty look. And I got a lot of dirty looks from a few other people, too. The funny thing was, before it happened, I tried to give you a look like, Scotty, no. Scotty, no. And, um, okay, so I said it. Um, I guess my question is for blowing the save is, is it ever irresponsible or should you never say the O at certain points of the national anthem? Look, I didn't think there was anything wrong with you doing it. I just knew that nobody else in that particular instance was going to do it. I tried to save you from yourself. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't do it as well. I did it quietly. But I will point out that if either one of us was going to do it, the guy without his wife present was probably the one that should have done yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. So um, I was sitting closer to the Mackey family, though. I didn't want to be disrespectful. That's fair. So, Birdland, let us know, is it disrespectful to ever to say the O during the national anthem? I want to know. You want to know. Let us know. Tweet us on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, I think we've blown the save. All right. So with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.